or gifts. Most of you probably have more than one gift. Uh, your heart, that's your passions, your ability, your experiences as well, or your personality as well as your experiences. So we're going to touch on each of those this morning. And uh, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, so Jesus made a statement to his disciples uh, very early on after he had called them to follow him. It was first come and see, and then Jesus says, I want you to follow me, and then I'm going to make you fishers of men. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus made a statement to his disciples that he had not ever made up to that point, and he said to them, I'm going to build my church. And he also said to his disciples, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of God. So when Jesus made the statement, I will build my church, did that mean that Jesus was going to build the church and that his disciples would have no part in that endeavor? Or did it mean that Jesus and his disciples together were going to build the church? Well, obviously, it is both and, all right? So whenever we read that particular passage, we make the mistake of thinking that, well, uh, Jesus is going to build his church apart from us. Uh, one of the things we discover early on in our walk with God, and certainly in the book of Genesis, is that God doesn't choose to do things apart from us. He chooses to do things alongside of us. One of the reasons why prayer is so important is because God releases his resources as a result of God's people praying. Does God know your needs before you ask him? Absolutely he does. But what did Jesus teach us in the model prayer? You need to ask for things. Give us this day our daily bread. You're asking for uh, resources, what, the things that you need to accomplish what it is God wants to do in and through your life. Well, the same thing is true in building the church. There are certain things that only God can do, and there are certain things that we must do in order to build the church. So we are spent spending five weeks, and today's the last week on this, about discovering your unique purpose, how God has gifted you and shaped you to be a part of what it is he's doing in this church that you're a part of and even beyond, beyond the walls of our church. How, how has God collectively pulled us together so that we can be a part of what it is that God wants to do? We do not want to uh, overestimate what God's supposed to do and underestimate what we're supposed to do. For example, uh, many years ago, uh, before I came here and when I was pastoring in Elyria, it was the final year that Billy Graham was holding a crusade in Columbus. And it was in the old stadium, uh, football stadium, before they tore that down. And, but I was a, a part of that uh, crusade in that I was one of the uh, counseling supervisors. So in preparation for that, you know, I'll ask the question, what, how does Billy Graham fill a stadium with people? I mean, that's a lot of people. How does he fill a stadium? And not just one night, but four nights in a row. Uh, does Billy Graham fill a stadium because of his name on a placard? No, that's not how the stadium gets filled. Does Billy Graham fill the stadium uh, because of the advertisement? There are billboards, there's radio advertisement, newspaper advertisement, all kinds of advertisement going on. No, that's not how they fill those stadiums. Did Billy Graham fill those stadiums because he went out and personally invited people to come to his crusade? Not at all. How did Billy Graham, every year, year after year, stadium after stadium, how did he fill those? Because a year in advance, he sends in an entire team into the city in which he's holding that crusade. Guess what he does? He gathers every pastor he can possibly gather up in those meetings. 
And then they, in turn, challenge us as pastors to go back in our local churches and to train our people on praying for their lost friends, serving their lost friends, and then giving them an invitation to attend a Billy Graham crusade. In other words, 90% of what happens before the night of the first crusade took place a year in advance, all the way up to the moment of the crusade. And so you have thousands of pastors, thousands of churches, thousands of people who've been praying for somebody for a year or somebodies, and in serving those individuals, building relationships, and then inviting them to come to the stadium to the Billy Graham crusade. Now, uh, the year that he held his uh, crusade in Cleveland was the very first year that he used uh, somebody besides Beverly Shea. Beverly Shea, is that his name? Uh, the older singer for his crusades. Uh, he brought in some very young talent uh, to appeal to the youth because they had a special youth night. And for the first time ever, they allowed the kids to, to you know, be in the infield of the stadium because that was usually um, set apart for counseling purposes. And they allowed the teenagers to come into the, into the uh, inner field. And on that night of the crusade, I often, Billy Graham was very nervous about how this was going to go. He was not used to that style of music. And he wasn't sure how it would be with the youth being down on the infield. Would that be distracting to others? You could have heard a pin drop when he spoke that night. And when he gave the invitation... Not only did thousands of youth give their life to Christ, people were pouring out of the stadiums. Normally, as a counselor, you want to be no more than one on three to five. We were one on 20 and, and beyond. We couldn't handle the number of people coming to, to, find, to, to accept Christ in their life. And the reason all of that happened is because of preparation. They have a strategy. They prepared through the strategy, and they were ready for the night. That that event took place, and it was an incredible, incredible. They, they, um, I forget how many people were saved the number, but it was the highest number ever in a crusade. And so why? Because of preparation. So we, as a church, if we're going to be effective, it's going to be because we are prepared, right? So what happens here on Sunday morning? A lot of things happened before you came into this building on Sunday morning. A lot of things. Prayer and preparation all throughout the week. I mean, Greg and Heather and, and leading the praise team, they, they've been, you know, uh, I give them, hey, this is what I'm preaching on, and they're, they're selecting music, and then the praise team is getting together, and they're practicing, and, and there's a lot that goes into what happens up here on the stage on Sunday morning prior to their arrival, prior to my arrival, and what I, my preparations and other preparations that happened. You know, those who are serving in various capacities in our church. And so we want to understand, what is it that enables us to do what we do? Because the time is now. You know, God has set us in a specific time frame for a specific generation. And we're it, right? We are sitting in this generation. Regardless of what your age is, you're sitting in this generation. And as long as God still has us here, we are to be seeking to reach the generation he has put us in. One of the things that the Bible records uh, back in the Old Testament was Samuel. Samuel was just all upset because, you remember, uh, Israel wanted a king. 
He didn't want them to have a king. He was their king, but they cried out for a king, and so God selected King, uh, king Saul. Well, King Saul turned out not to be a very good king, as God warned them he would. So uh, he, he rebelled against God, and God was ready to move on to another king. But Samuel was still lamenting and mourning the fact that King Saul just didn't make it, and God was stripping the kingdom away from him. And here's the words that God spoke to Samuel. He said, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be the next king. And of course, that son was David. What was God saying to, to um, Samuel? Samuel, listen. Churches have gone through a pandemic in 2020. Things didn't get much better in 2021. And a lot of things came to a screeching halt. Most all churches are back to about 80% of what they were pre-pandemic. And so there's been a lot of turmoil in our lives and families and schools and, and just things that cause you to like sit back and just like, oh, like, can we move forward? Can we move on? We're still mourning what it was like before uh, we had COVID-19 hit our shores, right? So what God would say to us, it is time to renew our hope. It's time to push forward. The question we need to ask ourselves is not how will we spend our days here on earth. The question we have to ask ourselves is this, how will we invest our time that we have here on earth? How are we going to invest it in those who are not saved yet? How are we going to invest it in one another? We all need each other. God designed the church. We've talked about this pretty extensively, how God has designed us to be interdependent upon one another. How are we going to serve one another? How are we going to encourage one another? And so how are we going to reach also our community and outside the walls of our church? Because God is looking for pioneers to blaze a new trail. Our church is not a cruise ship. Our church is called to be a battleship. Now, if you've ever been on a cruise ship, you know what that's like. That means you just sit back and everybody else waits on you, right? You come into your room at night and, and the staff is taking your towels and made little, uh, you know, um, animal figures and put them on your bed and everything's just bright and perfect and you get to eat 24-7, you know, whatever, whatever time of the night it is, you can go find a buffet somewhere. And now the, I mean, that's all fine and wonderful, but at some point we have to get in the game, right? We have to do what God has called us to do. And that's what this is all about, discovering my shape. So here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by, to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is, who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God who works all of them in all men. Now to each one is the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And so uh, on your outline, the first line there is spiritual gifts. We've talked about motivational gifts. We've talked about ministry gifts. We've talked about manifestation gifts. So if you have not been here for those, you can go on our website. You can listen to those messages or on Facebook 
or make sure you pick up a copy of the spiritual gifts inventory because the very first thing on your ministry profile is what are my spiritual gifts? You need to kind of understand what is my gift or what do you think the gifts are that you have? Now, the best way to hone in on exactly what your giftedness is is through ministry, right? You get involved in ministry and God begins to bring to the surface what your giftedness is all about. We're going to move on from that because we've spent a lot of time on spiritual gifts. So what next is your heart. Um, the Bible says in Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And so if God's, God's going to get you to act according to his will and his good purpose, he's going to put certain passions within you because he wants to guide and direct you into the works that he has prepared in advance for you to do. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse Verse 10, so uh, your heart is where you desire to serve. It's an altar upon which you wish to place your giftedness. In other words, giftedness is who you are. Your heart is where you're going to take those gifts and you're going to put them into practice. For example, God has given you a passion and a heart for some things, but other things you don't have a passion and you don't have a heart for that. Right? For some of you, for example, it might be children's ministry. Well, I'm not going to serve in the children's department. I don't even like kids, right? So that might be who you are. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. So what has God given you a passion for? Where is your heart? What is it that really stirs you up on the inside that says, you know what? I, I really want to be engaged and I really want to be involved in this. Just as you have a unique physical heartbeat, God has given you a unique spiritual heartbeat and a passion for something that is motivating to you, right? I don't have to motivate you where you're passionate. If you're doing something you're not passionate about, then I'm going to have to try to motivate you. Well, how long is that going to last? Not long. So if somebody is serving in a ministry they have no passion for, then they're not motivated to do, do it well. For example, if I, I don't know if you're left-handed or right-handed, but whatever, whichever hand you write with, if I were to ask you to write your name with the opposite hand, Unless you're ambidextrous, like I am, you're going to struggle, right? You're not going to do it well. It's not going to look well. It's, it's going to be poorly written. It's going to take you longer to write with the opposite hand. Well, that's the same way it is when you serve where you're not passionate. It's awkward. It takes you twice as long. You, 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 do, you, know, you just don't do a, a really great job. And so we have to beware of gift projecting here. We talked about it a little bit last week. For example, if God's giving you a passion and the giftedness for evangelism, and you just have a passion for lost people, and you, it, it is natural for you, you're an extrovert, you walk up to a stranger, you engage them in a conversation about Jesus, you get people to tell you their story, and, and you tell them about Christ, and, and you see a lot of people saved, and then you tend to look at others and wonder, well, why aren't you passionate about evangelism? Well, why aren't you sharing your faith all the time? Why are you? And so we can tend to project upon others they should have the same passions I have a passion for. Listen, not all of us have the same passion. But we have a passion for something, and that's what you want to draw out. People that say, well, you know, if I surrender my life to God, he's going to send me off as a missionary somewhere across the, the ocean. No, he's not. You know what happens? to You listen to any missionary's testimony. Here's what happened. First, God gives them a passion for a people group. Whether it be in China, Lottie Moon had a, she grew up in a very affluent home in Virginia. 
And when she was in her early 20s, God put on her a passion for the Chinese people. She left her affluent home, and she went to China, and she spent the remainder of her life working among the poorest of the Chinese until she had spent herself to almost death, and they forced her to come back home, and she only made it on the ship as far as Kobe, Japan, and that's where she died on her way back. Why? Because God gave her that passion. So I'm just saying, what are you passionate about? What do you love to do? What is it that stirs your heart? Uh, for example, on your, your profile, who, who I love to work with the most? Like what age, what group, or what type of people? Some people like to work, you know, you've got a passion for the homeless. Some of you have a passion for children or teenagers, or maybe you have a passion for those who uh, are, have been abused or... Uh, those who are like spiritually apathetic or those who are in marital conflict. I mean, there's things that God makes you passionate for. <coughs> Excuse me. What church issues, ministries, or possible needs excite or concern me the most? Well, this is, this is just unearthing what you're passionate about. And here's the one I love is this. If I knew I, I could not fail, what would I attempt to do for God? If I knew I couldn't fail, what would I attempt to do for God? See, this is, this is just drawing out your passion. It's your heart. It's the heartbeat that God has given to you, and it is unique. Or here's another one. If time wasn't an issue, to what cause would I donate myself? What cause would I engage in? So what is your heart? I want you to pray about that. Think about that. But let God bring to the surface what those are. Then A is for your abilities. God has given you all kinds of natural abilities that you were born with. You probably have more abilities than you're aware of. Uh, sometimes we kind of, you know, try to be humble and say, well, you know, I'm just not able to do that much. Well, that's probably not true. And uh, I know sometimes because of the season of life you're in, sometimes things are really busy. Like when you're a parent, you have small children. I mean, obviously time is a factor uh, more so than in my phase of life where I have no small children at home, but I do have to deal with the grandson, right? So I take my grandson to school almost every morning, and when I get there, um, I have to, you know, he's, he's got to get dressed and breakfast and brush his teeth. And so I, here's what I learned about my grandson. That kid will not move only one pace. Slow. Really slow. So he, like, if I get him in there to brush his teeth, it used to drive me crazy, and I decided, you know what, I've got to allow him a lot of time. And so he goes in there and brushes his teeth. It's like, oh, i got to get the toothpaste. I can't get the toothpaste down for him. He's got to get it down. And he puts his little tooth. And it's got to be three dots. One, two, three. And then when we put the toothpaste back, it's like we fool around. And, and then sometimes he'll grab his toothbrush and turn to the wall and say, Papa, can you see me? Can you see me? I can't see your face, but I see the back of you, right? So then it's like, I really don't want to do this. Papa, how long do I have to do this for? Well, let's get started, and we'll, we'll, we'll determine that, right? So you get the teeth brushed, and, you know, you get him clothes on and, and out to the car. And here's the thing is, I have to park, park across the street, and so there's a curb. Like, he can't just walk out and go through the grass and get in my car. He has to tightrope his way across the curb like this, which takes forever to get him in the car. 
Yeah, I get that. I understand those things. And, uh, but think about the things that you, you love to do. Maybe you love to inspire people. You counsel, encourage, help, uh, read, provide, organize. I'm, I'm saying that as you're going through life, you can take these giftings and these abilities that God has given to you and woven into your life and weave them into your children's lives or as a grandparent in my grandchildren's lives or you can weave it into the lives of people that you rub shoulders with. Maybe you go to an exercise class. Maybe you, you, know, you go to a hairdresser or you, uh, you know, go to a barbershop or you, you go to a, you know, a small group here in our church and so you can bless others through the God-given abilities that God has given to you. Now, on this sheet, uh, a couple pages back, I give you what I call 20, uh, some, I think there's 26 uh, common abilities. You can go through this list and just circle. Oh, yeah, this is me. Yep, that's my ability. Yep, I got that. You probably have multiple abilities, more than you ever thought or planned out, and then you can go to uh, this profile and says abilities, right? And some of the questions that I ask you is, what is my current vocation? Do you know that God can use your vocation in ministry? Absolutely he does. Other jobs or skills I have experience in. I feel I have these specialized abilities. That's where that comes in. I've taught a class or a seminar on something. I feel my most valuable personal asset is what? And so you are, you're coming up with your abilities. What are the natural things God has bred into you? And then in the sheet, I also gave you what's called a membership profile. And it's just simply... Again, there's a lot of different abilities that are listed there you can check off and say, yeah, I have this ability. I like to, maybe you like to cook. Well, sometimes we need people to cook for an event. Well, that's, a special, that's an ability you have. You have a passion for it. You know, we have several people here, great cooks. Uh, you know, maybe you have a passion to do design or layout work or electronics, computer. Well, you know, there's, a, there's a host of them listed there that you can have the opportunity to um, fill that that out also. So now we're going to um, move to the next category, which is in your shape, we're going to talk about your personality. Listen, God, God did not create people to please you, and he didn't create you to please others. He created us to, to, to please the Lord. Now one of the reasons I say that is this, because we all have different and unique personalities. And oftentimes when people struggle with each other, it's personality clashes. Or you get your feelings hurt because somebody spoke to you in a certain way. And it, it's really not that they don't love you or they are seeking to be harsh or negative towards you. Sometimes it's just the way their personality comes out. So this is not on the sheet. I'll give, me, give you the four major personalities and then we'll talk about thinker feeler uh, real quick. And here's the four personalities. The first one is called a cleric. I use animals. These are the lions. All right? Lion, and you, those of you who have children, you will pick out these personality types in your kids. All right? Lions are leaders. They're visionary people. They, they, um, they are not afraid to speak their mind, and they really aren't concerned about whose feelings they might hurt while they're doing that. So if you uh, have a conversation with a cleric, a lion, a leader, they're just like, this is the job, we're going to get the job done, and they will speak truthfully, and they might, you know, they're not concerned about hurting your feelings, they're concerning about getting the thing done. So if you have a lion who's overseeing a ministry in the church, sometimes they will speak to people in such a way, for those of you who are more introverts, 
And those of you who are more um, like phlegmatics, like my beavers, you guys get your feelings hurt real easy. So if I put a line in charge of a ministry, I've got to put somebody with the gift of ministry alongside of them so they can help the people who get their feelings hurt along the way. Right? So oftentimes people are like, well, they hurt my feelings. I'm never coming back, and I'm not going to be in that ministry anymore. I'm just telling you, this is just the, the way they are. They are very much results-oriented, optimistic, um, extroverts. Uh, they usually carry on one-way conversations. You ever try to talk to real lions? Um, they're really not interested in what you've got to say. Again, in, in ministry, they're going to get the job done, but they may hurt people's feelings along the way. You just need to know that they may not seem very compassionate, but they really do love you, okay? This is the line. Now, now everybody has a little bit of every personality, but some of you have, this is, the, this is your dominant personality, and you're just kind of domineering, and you just like, when a decision has to be, like, for example, if a husband is a lion, and, and his wife is like, say, melancholy, and, and you say, well, what do you think we ought to go out to eat tonight? The lion's going to say, here's where we're going. Right, if you got kids, they'll pipe up and say, well, let's go here. Uh, if you're a beaver, like you guys have problems making decisions, like you put two beavers together as a married couple, where do you want to go to eat tonight? Well, I don't know, honey, where do you want to go? Well, I don't know, where do you want to go? And now for 30 minutes, they're trying to figure out where in the heck they're going to go. Now, if they've got a child who's old enough to speak up, the child will say, here's where we're going. All right, so that's just a personality type. All right, the next one is a sanguine. Sanguines are my little otters. Here's how you know what a sanguine. They're just a party waiting to happen. Right, everything's got to be fun to them. They, they love to have fun. So if you are a sanguine, for example, if you were to enter into a room of strangers, you don't know people, a sanguine's, again, they're usually pretty much extroverts, and they're going to be like, hey, how you doing? How are you doing? And they're going to go around and, and introduce themselves to everybody. Hey, good buddy. How you doing, friend? They don't know anybody's name. Everybody's a good buddy and friend because they got a lot of friendships, but usually their friendships are like this deep as opposed to like a melancholy. They're really into friendships and their friendships are like this deep. And so like, for example, if a person who is melancholy, what I call my golden retrievers, if they entered into the same room the sanguine came into, they're going to like, they're going to scope it out and they're going to find the nearest corner, a couch to sit down on because they are not going to go out and put themselves out there. They're going to wait for somebody to come to them, right? So that's just a personality difference. And so, for example, if you send an otter out to buy a car, right? If you've got a beaver, where like, like they're the phlegmatics, I mean, they're going to, like, get the car facts. They're going to investigate this car. Is it worth it? Is it, you know, get the whole history on it. They can't make a decision about what car to buy. An otter, the only thing they care about is, do I look good in this car? If I look good, it's, it, uh, you've sold me, all right? I'm ready to go. So this is just the way they are. Now, they can drive you crazy because um, they, are, they are talkers, but they're low producers. See, everything's got to be fun. You want to know why Elon Musk got so rid of so many Twitter employees? Have you seen what they did? Nothing. They were all otters. I'm telling you, the, the whole gang was otters. I mean, they come in and they, whatever time they wanted to get to work, and they've got their mimosas and their wine machine and their snacks and their, their lunch and their meditation rooms and game rooms. And then, you know, once in a while they'd work during the day. Well, he, he's, he, who, what is Elon Musk? He's a lion. 
right? He's all about productivity, and if you're not willing to work hard and produce, I don't need you. That's why he cut them loose. So this is kind of difference in the personality. Melancholies, my golden retrievers. You guys are the steady eddies. Like you are, you're like emotional um, steadiness. Like they don't really have high highs and low lows. My wife calls me a steady eddy, right? So if something great happens, you know, I'm happy about it, but like I'm not going to go off the charts. But I don't have real low lows either in life. I'm just kind of like the steady guy. It's not you don't have some highs and lows, but personality-wise, this is just you just kind of move along. Tend to be introverts, thinkers, uh, pessimistic at times. Uh, usually you guys keep uh, very meticulous records about everything. You analyze problems to death. That's the problem. <laughs> so, like you, you just can't move forward until you've analyzed. Like if you've ever tried to counsel somebody like this, it's like they just like every little thing, they just think over, analyze it, and like will write you five pages about why, why this isn't going to work and, uh, you know, analyzing the situation and the problem because they just can't move forward until they've settled that issue in, in their mind. And then the peaceful phlegmatics, they're the beavers. You guys overanalyze everything. People who are beavers, <laughs> they will volunteer for a lot of things but rarely follow through, right? So they just rarely follow through because uh, there's too many working parts. So if you put them in a ministry, they hate, they hate uh, ministry that requires a lot of variety because they like things to be organized and systematic. And if you give them too many moving parts, it just overwhelms them. Now, uh, for, the, for the beavers, for example, if I were to say to you as a beaver, hey, uh, I've got a swing set. Would you put that together for me? What, what would they do first? They're going to get out the instruction book. They're going to read it from cover to cover, analyze everything, get it all organized, open up the box, get all the pieces in the right places, and then go back through the step-by-step -step through uh, the instruction book. If I gave that same task to an otter, what would they do with the instruction book? We don't need that. I'm going to call my buddies. We're going to have a great time. We're going to, you know, we're going to get together, and we're just going to slap this thing together, and, and they just start pulling things randomly out of the box, and they're trying to figure out how they're going to put this thing together, and it takes them three times as long, if they ever even get together, because somebody was eventually going to say, well, don't you think we ought to look at the instruction book? We don't need that. We're having a good time. All right, so this is the differences in personality. So well, what is your... Dominant personality type. There's a lot more things I could say. So now on your sheet, we have a section there where I, I want you to kind of put yourself on the graph as to where you are as far as your personality. The first one is introvert versus um, extrovert. So if you prefer interacting with many people and you tend to gain energy by being around people, you're an extrovert. All right, if being around people drains you emotionally, you're probably more of an introvert. Or you may be somewhere in between. So do you tend to be more extrovert, introvert, somewhere in the stream? I've got strong, mild, strong. Uh, you kind of plot yourself on the, on the graph. It just really depends on how God has, has wired you. For example, if being quiet and reflective is what charges your batteries, 
you're probably introvert. Right? But if being if inviting people over to your house and the more the merrier, and that just excites you and charges you, uh, you're probably more extrovert, or you're somewhere in between. Make sense? All right. So uh, if so, here's what I would say: I tend to look for ways to be a part of the crowd. You're extrovert, right? I tend to build relationships with a few individuals as opposed to many people. You're more introvert. I tend to start conversations with people I don't know. You're extrovert, right? I hesitate to be in being a part of a large group. You're probably more introvert. Now, thinker feeler. Um, this deals with how you make decisions. For example, uh, typically, if you're a thinker, you make decisions based on the facts. If you're a thinker, you tend to make your decisions based more on intuition or your gut. Now, it's not that thinkers don't feel and feelers don't think, but when push comes to shove and you have to make the ultimate decision, are you going to go more with the facts or are you going to go more with your intuition and your gut? That kind of determines whether or not you're a more thinker, you're a more feeler, maybe you are somewhere uh, in between. Self-controlled versus self-expressive. And if you tend to be open and verbal with your thoughts and opinions, and you enjoy sharing them with others, then you're more self-expressive. If you um, are, by contrast, you tend to keep your thoughts and opinions to yourself, then you're probably more self-controlled. So I tend to share my feelings freely with those I've just met. You know, you're more self-expressive. I withhold my thoughts and feelings from others at certain times, more self-controlled. Seek opportunities to share my life with others, more self-expressive. Hold my cards close to my chest so that only a few individuals can truly know me. You're more self-controlled. All right, routine versus variety. If you prefer activities that clearly uh, define what is expected of you and completion of the activity is within reach, you're probably more of a routine. On the other hand, if you enjoy involvement with many projects, that, that's a good intention, that a variety will be part of your unique kingdom purpose, then you're probably more variety. In other words, uh, people who love variety are risk takers. People who love more um, routine are not. Right? You're just not willing to step out. You like If you're in a ministry, you want to be something that you know pretty much what's expected of you week in and week out. Otherwise, a variety, I mean, that ministry may have all kinds of different variants week in and week out, month, month in and month out. Cooperative versus competitive. Uh, do you commonly accept the opinions of others without disagreement? Then you're probably more cooperative. In other words, it's your aim to resist conflict as much as possible. Uh, however, if you enjoy winning, overcoming obstacles, and if you embrace challenges, then you're probably more competitive in nature. So where do you fall on the graph? Experiences. This is the last category, and I'm just mentioning these because uh, I've given you the questions concerning the, the experiences. We look at spiritual experiences. What spiritual experiences have you had? One of the things I, the questions we have, times when I felt closest to God. What other spiritual experience? Might have been it was at youth camp at some point in your life or some other event that happened. You want to you want to bring to the surface. What are my spiritual experiences? This is very very important because this is how God has shaped you and how God uses you in ministry. What is what are my painful experiences? All right, all of us have portraits in the hallways of our lives of painful experiences. 
right? Mine began very early on, the divorce of my parents, raised in a single-parent home, the death of my grandmother, the very first person uh, that was close to me that died. I mean, there's all kinds of my sister's death at age 20. You know, there are all kinds of painful experiences that hang in the hallway of my life, just as there are in your life, and those are very, very important because oftentimes God, what he's preparing for you now and in the future, he's been preparing you all of your life for that moment. And every single portrait plays a specific role in what it is God wants to do. What educational experiences do I have? What, you know, again, these are important. Where did I attend school? What were my favorite subjects? What are some seminars or trainings that I've had? What are my ministry experiences? Where have you served before? What church? How long? What did you do? What were you responsible for? These are all a unique part of our shape. And here's why we, we, we spent so much time on this is because success in life is doing what God made you to do. Success is not, well, I tried this and it just really went well. Because sometimes that's not true. Do you know we have missionaries out on the field who sometimes are on the field for 10, 15 years before they ever see a breakthrough into the hearts and the lives of the people God sent them to reach? And and listen, discouragement is a huge factor for them, right? They're ready to give up, throw in a towel, walk away. You know how long it took Lottie Moon to break into the hearts and the lives of the Chinese before she began really making a huge impact into their lives? It was years. Success is doing what God has made me to do. I leave the results to him. I just stay faithful to what God has wired me to do, how he has shaped me. I want you to just be faithful to how God has shaped you because there will come the day then you and I will stand before Jesus and we will give an account for what we did with what it is he gave us, how he shaped us. It's called the parable of the talents. Jesus gave us these talents. He's given us this unique shape and God wants to use it now to pull us all together and find out, okay, what is the sweet spot of our church? So I'm asking you to take the time over the next few weeks, contemplate this, think about it, fill it out, and I'd like for you to give them back to me in the month of January, preferably by January the 8th, I like to read over them and just sit down and talk to you about what it is you're shaped to do, what, how God's wired you, so that as your pastor, as someone who is the equipper uh, in a, an equipping role, I'm trying to discern what does God want us to do in this given moment, in this given time, based on the giftedness, the sh- unique shape of our congregation, because I believe that what will rise to the surface, God will say, here is the sweet spot of your church. Here's the most effective way you can serve your one another and serve your community to see people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we're called to do. That's God's great commission upon our life, to go and to make disciples. Let's bow our heads together.